0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: And the reason you respect that other person is because you trust that other person. And when you trust and respect, you have good communication. And watch this. That are, those three in itself are the wonderful ingredients of friendship. Those of you can go down memory lane and you can remember the people that you had that with at one time. And something happened where one of those ingredients began to crumble and fall away. And all of a sudden, these are just people in your past. These are people that you know. People at one time that you have memories with in history. But today, you're not any closer. In fact, you've drifted some and I think it goes back to this you're my friends if you do what I command you one translation says if you'll just do what I bid you it could almost say if you'll do what I ask you if you do what you say you're going to do in other words can I trust on you that when you say your yay is yay your yay is yay in this case it's a little higher up because we're under an authority figure and he's saying is what we need to do but the whole bottom line is are we just going to do what we're going to do are we going to do what we said are we going to obey our own commands when we told the person yes that's my command to do it Are we willing to do that? And he says, you're my friends if. So really the operative phrase is if you do what I command you. That's human responsibility. So bottom line, one sentence. Obedience is a condition of friendship. It's definitely a condition of friendship with the Lord. How would you like to play a little Bible trivia with me? See how well you do with this. Who was this person? Because he obeyed God, he's the only one in the Bible that was actually called the friend of God. Anyone know who that was? Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, a tremendous patriarch. He was a friend of God. Why? He obeyed God, even to the point of being willing to give up his son. But again, God stepped in. Here's another one. Who was this person? He lived his life to please the Lord. And then at one time, the Lord spoke to him as a man would speak even to his friend, have a conversation, a friend-to-friend conversation. Who was that man? It was Moses. Now, I like what I'm reading here in Scripture because Abraham had his faults, Moses had his faults, they both had their personality issues, they also had you know, failures in their life of obedience, but yet they knew how to recalibrate. And come back to the Lord and surrender again and see Him as their Lord and do the things that they should do. And God could say, you're my friend. You're a friend of mine. I'll speak to you like I'd speak to a friend. Who is this person? They're a friend of this world. And God calls them an enemy. Who would that be? When I put that in my notes, I put my name next to that. Because there are times that sometimes I... I look at the world and I think, boy, I wish I had a little more of that or I wish I could do a little bit more of that. I wish I could be a little bit more of that. And it's kind of a fun little field of dreams for a moment and then the Spirit of God convicts me and stuff I've read in Scripture, it's just, oh, it's like drinking sour milk then for that moment. And so I want you to know we all struggle with that, but maybe today we're learning to love one another. The first thing we need to do is we need to obey the Lord and to do that, we need to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Then we can fulfill his commands, and then we won't be his enemy. So if I love the world, its philosophy, its way to think, if I embrace a secular worldview, I'm an enemy of God. And you know what makes it even worse? Is when I embrace the world, but I also embrace Christianity, and I have this duplicity thing going on. How much really grieve the Lord. I hope it doesn't happen to us. So, sacrificial, that's what love looks like. It obeys God from the inside out when we feel like it, when we don't, and until we do, and we become His friend. And I sure love to have the Lord as my friend. I will tell you, um, I have a few friends in my life, and I won't identify who they are. And if you want to think that you're it, then please do, because I'd like to have as many friends as I can have. But I can tell you that the friends that I have in my life, that if I ever had a need... I know that if I call them, I think what makes them an, a friend is because I, I hardly ever share a need that I have because I, I, it's just how I'm wired. Maybe it's too much pride or whatever, I don't know. But when I do have a need and I ask them, they're the first ones to say, I'll do that. This morning I was sharing with a friend and I was saying, you know, we're going to be out of town and, and of course our grass is going to grow, hopefully. It won't die, hope it'll grow. And the first thing out of his mouth was, I'll come over and mow it and I thought I didn't even ask him and he was willing to do it and you know how I responded I said I knew you would I knew you would be willing to do that but someone else has already stepped up and said they're going to already come by so you got your blessing without having to sweat so bottom line still is that's what friends do for each other because we love one another do you have people in this church you're not friendly with do you have people in this church you would never call hardly even give them the time of day How about people in your family that you marginalize? Now, I know they might have hurt you. I know that they do not deserve maybe some of your respect and trust because they have broken it over and over again, and they'll probably do it again. What do you do with those enemies? You, Matthew 5, 44 them. Look it up. It says, love them, do good, pray for them, and bless them. All right, number three. What else does it do? Love that communicates the truth. Now, let's look at verse 15, and here's what you read. Communicates the truth. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. Let's pause for a moment. He's moving them from the concept of slaves to the word friend over here. And I think sometimes when you hear slave, we often think of our own slavery in America. And I know that's really, really horrible. And maybe the few times that the Jews were mentioned in Scripture as being slaves of Egypt. And I realize that. But more cases than not, even slaves in the Bible, because slavery was so much permeating it, was not to that level. That's when the depravity of man that owns the slaves, abused the slaves because of their depravity. But not everyone, although we all have depravity, would would do that to their slaves. People who would have slaves would often provide for the slaves. Food, clothing, shelter, sometimes education. They would provide an environment because they knew that those slaves, as wrong as it sounds today, would still be the, quote, workhorses of their estate. And so they wouldn't abuse them. We hear about that. It's horrible. It makes me nauseous even thinking about those it would. But not every slave was bad. Even so, God provided in the Old Testament when a person became a slave, they released the slave after so many years and then the slave would have the choice if he wants to come back to the master again because he really liked his master. I often wondered, why did he like his master? Why did he love his master? Possibly because that master was the one I just described to you. Provided for them, protected them, fed them, clothed them, took care of them. And they thought, I can't get any better than... So they would do that put a hole in their ear to identify that they were a love slave. The problem is that when we read the word servant, we almost move it into the world of, well, I can serve or not serve. It's really my choice. When actually the word doulos still means slave. Now, maybe a love slave, but it's still a slave. Which means then that the owner still owns you once you put yourself under them. That's why you have the word for doulos slave And that's why for the Lord he's referred to as master. So you have a master-slave relationship. Why am I telling you this? Stay with me now. So that's the technical idea of it. And so the master is not obligated for the slave to tell the slave everything and all the reasons the master is doing something. The responsibility of the master is simply to provide and protect for the slave. However, when a master chose to become, quote, intimate with the slave, I don't mean sexually. I'm talking about begin to share why we do this. and How come we're doing that? All of a sudden, the slave is doing this not out of rote obedience and duty. They're doing it because they have a knowledge of why, wherefore, how come. And they become a little bit closer together. Why? 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 Because communication often breeds unity. Unity brings bonding. And that's what was happening. And so Jesus is saying here, I don't call you slaves any longer, although they are slaves. He just I don't call you slaves. And he says, but I do call you friends now. And look at the rest of the passage. It says, why? Why? For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Well, I got thinking, if I could take all the words up to this point of what Jesus had taught to his disciples, if I were to put them into categories... I would put them in the following category. What were these things that he chose to share with his guys? They weren't his slaves. They were his friends. They were his disciples. Here's my list. See if it would be your list. He explained to them why the Father sent him to the earth. That's interesting. Second, why he was going to lay his life down. Why he was going to have to leave them in a very short time. Why he was going to come back again. And then also what they needed to do to become a part of this forever family by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's why they moved from a slave to a friend and he was telling them all this. You know what I like about that? Is that... There's a subtle thing going on. You could call it team building in the corporate world. You can call it team building in the sports world. You can call it team building or or bonding or whatever they call it in the military. But the Lord is now moving them from not just students of his, I teach you, listen. He's saying, I teach you, listen. But I teach and I show you and you follow. And I explain why I'm doing all of this. And so now you have a greater understanding. We now have a relationship and I think there's something very subtle going on. Now listen to me. See if you might think the same way. Jesus knows that in just a matter of hours he will be dead and, quote, gone for a while. These guys are all of a sudden our leader, our model, our mentor, the, pe- the guy we know. He's, he's t- treated us like his friend. He's now gone. But somehow they knew that that was my friend because when the Spirit came back, and indwelt those guys, now they have the spirit, they have the Lord, they have the whole concept of the Godhead, and they're still very much united together in a special bonded relationship. I'm never going to leave you. I've made known to you these things. Well, I've listed there some verses that might be a very much of a help to you, I guess I would ask you this question. Are there things that you're keeping from your family that they don't know about that you've kind of how can I say you've fallen back into the uh, I'm the boss, you're the follower kind of relationship? Do you have a propensity because on the job you have to give orders and other people have to follow that you now come into your home and as I order and then I, I follow? When I was working with men that had to be gone for a longer period of time than a couple of days or a week but they had family and children, I would counsel these men by telling them when you come back home again, you frankly are a stranger, less to your wife but far more to your children because a day to your children is like a year being gone depending on their age. And you can't stop being gone because that's part of your career, your job, whatever it is. But when you come back, you can't always just pick up right where you left off. You want to, but you can't. You have to kind of ease back in again to that relationship with them. Don't give up. Don't relegate it all to the wife. Remember your role and your wife will help you with that. But together... It's not an instant, I'm back, everything falls back in line. I I know it's uncomfortable, I'm so sorry that sometimes you have to go through that, but you guys that have to come and go, come and go, come and go, come and go, you've got to do this same thing I just described, again and again, again and again, again and again, again and again. But that's what you signed up for. And if you signed up for that, God will give you the grace and the mercy to help you through that. So communicate. I know, communication sometimes breeds conflict. Watch this. Conflict then, if it's done without a lot of negative energy and a lot of spiteful words, will breed clarification. And then once clarification hits, then you have that comforting attitude of communion going on between the two of you. So love that really communicates the truth. Here's the last one. verses, love is sacrificial, then it obeys God, then it communicates the truth, but now... Love that proclaims the message of salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Now, that won't say it exactly in this verse, but when you take all that we've said and what they were preparing to do and what God was going to send them out to do through the Lord, then you'll understand. Let's go back to the passage again in verse 16 and 17, and we'll close with this. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Let's pause for a moment and look at that for a moment. In the Bible days, when there was a rabbi, the rabbi would be like the mentor, and usually it would be his little disciples, his little followers, who would kind of follow them all around and kind of choose who do they want to sit under. Some of you have got your own little rabbis going on. You know, you've got your favorite Bible teacher, and I won't mention some names, I don't want to uplift some and downplay others, but some of you say, I'll listen to him, and I'll I'll listen to them, and and so we go after them. That is not wrong, that's normal. But this is so different because the Lord says, you didn't come chasing after me. He's talking to the eleven now. And he says, but I chose you. I chose you. That's interesting. Are there people maybe in your life that you see out there and you say, I want to have a difference in their life and I want to choose them. Now what the Lord has that we don't have, even though we'll pray and ask him for discernment and wisdom, the Lord knows who's going to be the rummies, the judases. He chose him too. He's going to know who's going to be the big mouths, Peter. He's going to know who those little kind of no-name guys that don't say a whole lot, kind of in the shadow kind of guys. He's going to know the one who's going to always want to lean on his bosom, John. You know, He's going to know those guys, but he chose them all. And then he says, and I appointed them. There's a lot of evidence that would say he not only chose them, he chose them for salvation, he chose them to learn with him. But then when it said he appointed them, which means now at the point when he said, watch this now, I select you guys to be my disciples after the night of prayer. This is when he, he kind of ordained them to say you now are going to be the guys that will be the foundation for the church. And I don't have time to open up Ephesians and all of that that, it says the church is built on Christ and then upon the apostles. So he chose them to be in his forever family. Then he appointed them to be the apostles to then go on to do great things for him. That's what he did in this passage. Now by extension... I'm believing that if you know Christ as your Savior, God wanted you to be saved. Secondly, since it says chose you and appointed you, that your appointment also to serve him came real soon to the time you trusted Christ. It doesn't give a timeline how soon that was with these guys. But for you, you can rest assured now that you're a part of the appointed. Now, it doesn't mean you've got to be a reverend or a pastor or whatever the world wants to call you. The point of the matter is you're a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ, and God, through His Word and His Spirit, has given all of us marching orders to glorify Him by helping people come to faith alone in Christ and to go on to become a fully obedient worshiper of Christ. Now remember, that's what he's setting up for. Remember, he's getting ready for that great commission he's about ready to give. Now stay with me now. He's doing all of this to tell them to you know, love each other, abide in me. We're going to talk about how do you respond to the world when they hate you. Watch this. They will nev- the world will never hate you if you never let them know you're a Christian. Certainly they'll never hate you pretty much if you act just like them and be like them. But it's when you live a separated life unto the Lord for the purpose of bringing glory to God in everything that you do, including the message of salvation, the world will hate you. So we know he's heading into that because we haven't gotten to that passage yet. That's just following this. So I'm saying all of that to say that you and I have been chosen to do that. Now go back to the verse. It says, I've appointed you to be what? A Christian? No. He says, I've appointed you that you will go and do something now. And that is to go and bear fruit. I believe here it's going to be talking about the bearing fruit of the Spirit with the intention of bearing fruit of other believers. And that your fruit would remain. And then it says, so that. Underline that word, so that. Because what's going to happen right now is going to be uh, clarifier on your prayer life. It says, So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Let's stop there for a moment. This now tells me that evangelism and disciple making and all the other things that he was teaching here is directly related to the answerability of your requests to the Lord of your prayers. So, one, you might not be praying very much. That could be a a definite sign of a lot of uh, issues in your life. It's taking your temperature. If you're not praying, certain things are happening or not happening. There's something wrong. I'm not here to put you on a guilt trip, but I am here to kind of give you a wake-up call. Go to the Lord and find out why aren't you praying. Why don't you have an attitude of prayer? And there's a lot of reasons for that, and if you want some help identifying them, we'll be glad to do that for you privately. Let's go back. But if you really are abiding in Christ, loving one another, listening to the Lord, all that we're teaching right here, you will be praying. And here's what I believe. I believe your prayers will be more centered around all the things in your life that will bring glory to the Lord and the furtherance of the gospel and the building of his kingdom. Which now means, if you're in need of a car, does that mean that oh, God doesn't care about that? He wants you to pray for lost souls. I don't think that. I think you could pray for a car. Whatever you want to pray for. But when you're praying, you're asking, Lord, is this the right time to get this car? Will this car bring stumbling to someone else? Am I redirecting funds that should be used for something else because I want this car? Now you run that through all the things that you have a need for and you say, Lord, how can I bring glory to you if this won't hurt me spiritually, won't hurt others spiritually? Will this advance the kingdom? Will this bring glory to you? Could someone in the long run be saved? Now, I don't know all the answers to that, but I know that all of a sudden your prayer life changes and the the ability to have them answered yes is now raised so much higher. And that's what he's saying in this passage again, loving one another. Look at the last. He ends by saying this. This I command you that you love. And in the Greek it says that you keep on loving one another. Sometimes it's easy to love someone when they're really lovely. And sometimes that same lovey, lovey lovey-dovey person isn't so loving. I think that's why in the Greek it says that you keep on loving them because you love them when they deserve it. You love them when they're lovely. You love them when they don't, when they aren't so lovely. Carol and I have two cats and a dog. And these two little cats that we have are now grown. I think there's nothing more fun than to watch little kittens play, don't you? I mean, I love little kittens. I watch them playing and all this stuff and they fall all over each other and they'll play with anything. You kind of wiggle in front of them. But kittens have a way of growing up to be cats. You know what I mean? And so sometimes this loving our brothers is we can love them when they're cute and lovable but we need to love them all the time because God tells us to. And that's it. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity to just reflect on what we've heard from the Word today. It's highly likely that one of the most repeated commands of Christ was to His disciples in extension to us, and that is to love others. It's quite possible because we so drift out of authentic biblical love and we begin loving the way the world loves. And He keeps reminding us by commanding us again and again to love one another. But remember this love is a sacrificial love and if you need an example of it there's no greater example than the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us while we were sinners and sinning and he loved us when we were at that time an enemy because when we are sinning we are an enemy of him. He gave up his life for us on the cross and remember he didn't deserve to die. He wasn't just a Oh, I don't know, a victim of society that got out of hand with a mob, he willed himself through all of that. Even when he was on the cross, he, in a sense, gave up his spirit. He died. He made himself die on that cross. It wasn't a sword. It wasn't the elements. It was he willed himself dead at that moment. And that's when he was crying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He sensed the separation of God the Father when he had the horrific and complete sin of the world and my sin and your sin on himself. And only one thing could do that and that would be to honor his father in obedience to him and then to demonstrate to us what sacrificial love is all about. Now we'll never be able to pay for the sin of someone else so that kind of just as he did We can't do that part. It's not going to be an efficacious love, a demonstration of that. But the sacrifice and the self-denial is all there. And if Christ lives in you and you have the exchange life, then it's really Him dying again, self-denying again and again and again as a demonstration of His love, not our love for one another. Now, my friend, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ and that love Demonstration on the cross for you then you're hearing good words and you'll try to do some of this and you might agree you'll start arguing with it your flesh will take over and it won't be sustainable because it's not done with a renewed spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in you so if you say you know this is good word pastor and I need to do this and I, I know right now who I need to demonstrate that sacrificial love to but I need him to help me then I want you to receive his love in that way. Please do that. If those of you are on the other side of this and you're now hearing that God loved you that much, maybe it's time for you to run to Christ. Not run to the altar here, not run down the aisle, but run to him in your mind and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I understand your love was demonstrated to me on the cross when you died for me and you rose again. And so, Lord, I'm accepting you now as my Savior. I am receiving you Because I am trusting in you. You not only died, you said you'd come back to life, and you did. You're a God who cannot lie. And so, Lord, I'm trusting in you and your word. You said it, and I believe it.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.